Today is part three, the final part in our series in secret. And what a wonderfully challenging series this has been. Has anyone else been super challenged? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, if you haven't heard the first two messages, I encourage you to do so. Listen on the podcast, Darcy and Frosty did amazing messages on fasting and on prayer. And it gives you a whole picture of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. Now, in case you haven't been in the room for the past couple of weeks, we are looking at a section of Jesus's most famous sermon, most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus explains what the kingdom of God looks like and what it looks like for us to be a follower of him within this kingdom. We are called to righteousness, to live in righteousness, which is right living with God and with people. And in Matthew 6, Jesus explains how his righteousness related to the religious practices of the day. And the practices he was talking about were the three pillars of Jewish spirituality, which were prayer, fasting, and giving. These were the three major spiritual disciplines and what the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, were famous for. And this is Jesus' whole point. And the problem... (laughs) So we've looked at prayer and fasting, and now we'll take a closer look at giving. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that we can sit under your teaching today. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord God, to receive what you want to tell us today, Lord God. May we be open to you and your leading and your correction. In the name of Jesus, amen. Didn't Frosty lead us so well before to be prepared for the message today? Every year I like to have a word to focus on for the year. My mum Jan got me onto this a few years ago. And as I was praying this year, I got the word for 2024, my word is discipline. And when I heard that, I was like, ugh. And then I realised what this word actually meant and that it was actually an answer to prayer. Discipline in a biblical sense means training in righteousness. It is training, instruction, and correction in order for us to be more like Christ. So often I pray, Lord, make me a better reflection of you. And he's telling me how I can do that in one word, discipline. God disciplines us out of his love for us, like a father to a son. He also gives us some instructions on righteous living, which we call biblical disciplines. Biblical disciplines like prayer, giving, and fasting are tools to grow us in spiritual maturity and draw us closer to God and more like Christ. Giving is a discipline that helps us to detach ourselves from our own needs and desires and look to the needs of others. So let's look at together at Jesus' teaching about the discipline of giving in Matthew 6, 1-4. Be careful. Other translations say, watch out, take heed, beware. This should grab our attention. This is Jesus warning us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. He's talking about our motive. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In this passage, Jesus is addressing an issue of the heart. Now, this particular passage is talking about almsgiving. Almsgiving is giving to those in need. It is charitable giving, often referred to as good deeds. The roots of the word alms can be found in Latin and Greek words meaning mercy and pity. And the root word for charity comes from a Latin word meaning love. This is an outward expression of love. 
The problem is not that the religious leaders weren't giving to those in need. The problem was it wasn't out of love for God or for the people. Their motive was not about the needs of others, but about their own need for admiration. While the religious leaders probably weren't blowing trumpets, this is Jesus emphasizing the fact that they were making such a show about their giving, they may as well have been. Nowadays we might say, don't blow your own trumpet or don't toot your own horn. The religious leaders were announcing their good deeds in the streets and synagogues in order to be seen by man. They were after superiority, driven from spiritual pride. They were acting righteous. Jesus calls these people hypocrites, which comes from a Greek word meaning actor, stage actor, pretender, or one who wears a mask. He describes the religious leaders as hypocrites in all three of the passages we've looked at in this series. And for that reason, we're going to take a closer look at what he means by this. My first job out of university was as an art director for an ad agency. And I did a lot of food styling shoots because of the client list we had. And truly, I tell you, these photos are not what they appear. It was very eye-opening. The chicken roasted to perfection is possibly created with wood varnish and a blowtorch, and definitely didn't go into an an oven. Uh, Any kind of cream is probably shaving cream because it doesn't melt. And the beautiful looking uh, piece of tomato on on the burger in the photo is probably coloured in with red lipstick. There's some secrets just for you. Do not let that photo fool you. It is not what it appears to be. (laughs) While the food you see in advertisements may look amazing on the outside, I can guarantee you it's not good to eat. It is not good on the inside. It's simply acting the part for the eye of the consumer. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for this very thing. While they looked good on the outside, inside their hearts were full of pride. So, what does this mean for us? Jesus is warning us about this behavior. To think about ourselves as a hypocrite can be quite a hard pill to swallow. And it's easy to read this this passage and think, oh, those Pharisees, they're terrible. But be carrying elements of this very behavior in our own lives. Our passage today begins with a warning because Jesus knows how much we struggle with humility and submission. He's warning us about the condition of our heart. In Matthew 23, verse 25 to 26, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. What stood out to me as I read this passage was the word blind. The Pharisees were blind to their own hypocrisy. They were so focused on how they looked on the outside that they didn't pay attention to what was going on on the inside. It caused me to question, what are we blind to in our own hearts that would cause us to give with the wrong motive? What do we need to clean out on the inside? And as I was was preparing this message, I believe God highlighted some roots associated with three different types of givers. Let's see how these roots affect our attitude to giving. The first is the reluctant giver. Now, I've made, um, which might pop up for you, a little table. Oh, I love a table because it helps me make sense of things. And I thought, I'll put it up here because it might help you make sense of it too. Cool. For my visual learners in the room. The reluctant giver is influenced by the roots of unbelief and religiosity. Unbelief is different to doubt. Doubts come and go in a life of faith, but choosing to spend our time and thoughts in doubt can lead us to unbelief. In Mark 16, Jesus actually rebukes the disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart for not believing he had risen. 
unbelief is associated with a hard heart. Unbelief is also associated with a religious spirit. A religious spirit causes people to replace a genuine relationship with God with works and traditions. When people operate out of a religious spirit, they attempt to earn their salvation. The motivation to take part in spiritual disciplines, like giving, becomes about ticking a box rather than growing in intimacy with God. Unbelief can also lead to something called the fear of lack, a fear that we will be without, that we won't have enough. This fear stems from a lack of faith in the goodness and provision of God. It is choosing not to believe who God actually says he is. The fear of lack can cause us to withhold what we do have. When living in unbelief or under a religious spirit, our giving is likely done reluctantly or out of guilt or obligation or religiosity rather than out of love and faith. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 to 8, Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If you've been in church a wee while, you've probably heard that verse a few times. But what you may not know is the Greek word for cheerful also means prompt or willing. A cheerful giver is someone who doesn't hold back, but they give freely, they give willingly. They give with an open heart, not a hard one. Jesus doesn't lay out an amount or a formula. His teachings aren't rules rooted in religiosity like what the Pharisees were doing. Instead, he commands us to give what is in our heart. If our, heart is, if our heart is hard and closed off to him, due to unbelief or religiosity, it can be really hard to give it all, but if our heart is open, our hand can be too. Deuteronomy 15, 7-10 says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There are promises of blessing and provision in both of these passages of Scripture for giving with the right heart. It said there, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you. The roots of unbelief and religiosity cause us to give reluctantly out of fear and a misunderstanding of who God is. Blessing and provision are promised to those who live with an open hand and an open heart, to those who give generously in faith. If you know you struggle with either of these things, unbelief or religiosity, there are two things you can do. The first, there's probably lots of things you can do, but two that I've picked out today. The first is to seek prayer. These sorts of roots can be buried really deep. They can even be in there and we don't even know that they're going on in there. That was what happened for me um, last year. And I got prayer for the spirit of religion to get it removed from my life. I did not want it there. And I did not realize how much it was actually affecting my relationship with God and my view of his commands until it was gone. If you think you might need deliverance from the spirit of religion or anything else that could be clouding your vision when it comes to giving, we have an amazing ministry team who would love to pray with you. You can come up and see them just up here on my left after the service, or you can fill in a connect card to meet with our ministry rooms team during the week. They would love to help you find freedom from that spirit. 
Secondly, speak out the promises. If you struggle to believe what God has promised, then I encourage you to speak it until you believe it. You might have heard fake it till you make it, but that is definitely down the hypocrisy lane, and we are not going down there. Instead, speak out the promises of Scripture daily and claim them over your life. You might pray something like, Lord, your word says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Soften my heart and help me to be generous to those in need and give me eyes to see how you will provide for my every need. The remedy to unbelief is faith. Faith takes courage and it requires action. Seek prayer, speak out the promises in order to open your hand and open your heart. The second type of giver is the loud giver, influenced by the roots of pride or insecurity. That's going to pop up for you. Oh, lovely. Thanks, guys. Now, you might be thinking pride or insecurity, huh? But these are two sides of the same coin. As you can see, they both cause all of these fruits or produce all these fruits. Both cause us to focus on ourselves. Both, both seek approval and validation, and both cause us to compare. When we view others through pride, we see ourselves as better than, and through insecurity, we see ourselves as less than. Both cause us to care far too much about the opinions of others. Social media has undoubtedly contributed to the rise of validation-seeking behavior and comparison. The Pharisees would announce their giving on the streets and in the synagogues, but now all we have to do is post a video or a photo and hundreds or even thousands of people can see it and comment on how great we are in an instant. As an example, now this is just an example, okay? You've probably all seen someone post um, an image of donating blood with the caption, just doing my bit. Now, giving blood is awesome and needed, but what was your heart motive in sharing that? Was it to bring like, attention to a need or was it so that everyone can comment on how great you are for giving blood? Oh, it burns a little bit, doesn't it? When we, our need for validation from people overrides our desire to please God, we enter the arena of hypocrisy. American pastor Paul Chappell put it this way, fear of man is the enemy of the fear of the Lord. The fear of man pushes us to perform for man's approval rather than according to God's directives. The fear of God causes us to live in a way that pleases God out of reverence and admiration for him. The fear of man is the desire to please others. The fear of God drumbles, drives humble generosity. The fear of man drives hypocritical giving. Our need for approval or acceptance from others can be the driver of our giving rather than out of obedience to God. The religious leaders took something that was to help others build community and glorify God and made it all about them. Our passage tells us that in their prideful giving, they have received their reward in full. But when we give in secret, our Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward us. It tells us that if we give to seek the praises of men, that's the only reward we'll get. But when we aren't after the praises of men, but we aren't. We aren't after the praises of men. We are after the divine praises of God. The loud giver is someone who is focused on image, trying to showcase their righteousness Jesus isn't asking us to act righteous out of a desire to please people, but to live righteously out of a desire to please him. Where there may be roots of insecurity or pride, we need to replace them with roots of humility and submission. The fear of God must overrule the fear of man. In the words of C.S. Lewis, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Last year, I found myself in this very cycle of comparison. 
both sort of pride and, and insecurity working together for me, which was just lovely, comparing myself um, to others, either seeing myself as better than or seeing myself as less than. And I was challenged that any time this thought came into mind, I would pray for that person. I would pray that he would bless them. And do you know what happened? I saw God bless my friends and the people around me so much and it grew my faith and it refocused me and realigned me with the heart of God. It humbled me greatly because, you know, when you, <laughs> when you get into that insecurity, the last thing you want to do is actually pray for your, you know, someone around you to be blessed. But then when you see that blessing, your faith is built, you're growing closer to God, and actually there's unity in that, in that relationship as well. So can I encourage you to do the same? If you find yourself in that place, pray for others. Take the focus off yourself. Praying for others is a wonderful way to do that and see the needs of others. The remedy for pride and insecurity is humility. Humbly submit to God and his leading. It will grow you in righteousness, love, and generosity. Last but absolutely not least is the secret giver, influenced by the roots of love and obedience. Now, this is who we are called to be. The secret giver is someone who spends a lot of time in the secret place. The secret place is our intimate relationship with God. To spend time in the secret place is to prioritize his presence over all else. It often means that we need to get away from noise, get away from distraction and other desires in order to focus on him. For many of you, you may have a specific location in your house or maybe a spot in the garden. For others of you, it might just be removing the distractions from where you are, turning your phone off, turning the TV off and just turning your heart towards God. Being in the secret place is about dwelling with God. Dwelling with God specifically in his word is what realigns us. When we intentionally seek him and his will for our lives, we are enabling him to discipline us and train us in righteousness. Joseph Phelan, a pastor and author who lived in the 1600s, said, Almsgiving is not a service of God, but a vain glory if it spring not from divine love. Almsgiving is not a service of God, but a vain glory if it spring not from divine love. The root and motivation for giving to those in need is of love. It brings us back to the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love, second is to love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is that we love God. The second is that we love people. Love God, love people. The Bible tells us to love God is to be obedient to his commands. It is love and obedience that should drive our giving. Love and obedience. The more we know God by spending time with him, the more we understand his love for us and see his goodness towards us. Time in his presence produces a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving within us, which is seen on the outside by the fruits of the Spirit. Joyful generosity is the outworking of the harvest of love, goodness, and kindness. To give in secret is to give out of love for God and others. The more time we spend in the secret place, getting our heart right with God and people, the easier we'll find it to give cheerfully and quietly. To be a secret giver, we must prioritize the secret place always. Are you spending time with God and in his word? Not to tick a box and say, yep, done, but to grow in righteousness, to be open to his discipline. If the answer is yes, that's amazing. Keep going, keep, keep being in his word, keep in step with the spirit. And if not, be intentional about being in his presence every day. 
if you need help with this, again, come and talk to our ministry team. Come and talk, talk to your small group leader. Come and talk to one of us. We would love to help you with this. If this is something that you just can't get your head around what it might look like for you, we would love to help you with that. Keys can join me now. The Gospel of Luke also recounts when Jesus is talking, calling out the Pharisees, sorry, for hypocrisy. And in chapter 11, verse 41, Jesus says, So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. The remedy for the dirt on the inside is generosity. Give to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. Generosity is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus and choose to follow him, we are instructed and expected to be generous in all areas of our lives. Following Jesus is to lay our lives down, lay our finances down, lay our services, our time, our resources down in order to serve him and to serve others. James 2 verse 14 to 26 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, now I love this version, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. It sounds ridiculous when you read it like that, doesn't it? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. We are saved through faith in Jesus, full stop. Frosty did an amazing message on that earlier this year. But when we make the decision to follow Jesus, our focus needs to change from self-gratification to Christ-reflection, putting others before ourselves. Now, it's important to note that we also read in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, which is also from the same Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. But here it is. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We are called to let our good deeds shine out for that reason. Not for our glory, not for our own admiration. But here it says, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we take praise for ourselves, we take the glory away from God. The guiding principle of Matthew 6 is private giving to grow in intimacy with God and so that others would praise Him. It is our motive that matters to Him. It's our heart condition. During lockdown, I remember a loaf of freshly baked bread appearing at our door. It had been pretty full on during that time, as I know it was for almost everyone. And so this loaf of bread appearing was, it filled my tummy, but it also filled my heart. <laughs> For some time, I had no idea who delivered this bread. I could only thank God for His goodness. The person could have left a note or messaged me to let me know it was them, but they didn't. They gave in secret so that God would get the glory. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, we do for Him. When we give, our, give to others, we give to God. And we do that knowing Jesus laid His life down for us. 1 John 4 verse 9 to 10 says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God gave us something that we could never repay. 
He sent His only Son, Jesus, to the earth as an atonement for our sins. Jesus laid His life down for us, dying on the cross in our place for our sins. He gave His life for us so that we may have eternal life in Him. To be saved by Him is to accept that insanely generous gift, knowing we can't earn it and we can't repay it. But to follow Him is to be led out of reverence, gratitude and thanksgiving. To follow Jesus is to follow His example, loving people and giving generously. Can I pray for us today? Oh Lord, we are just so in awe of You. We're thankful for the love You have for us, that You would lay Your life down, God, in order that we might live. May we be drawn into greater intimacy with You. Lord, I pray that You would help us to look away from our own needs and desires and open our eyes, Lord, to the needs of those around us. Soften our hearts and increase our capacity for giving, I pray. Would Your name be made known because of the generosity, Lord, that comes from these people in this church. We thank you, God, for who you are and your goodness towards us, that you are our provider, Lord, and we can trust in you.